So, in view of the fact that there was a messianic prophecy in today's Torah reading, I thought it incumbent upon us to talk a bit about messianic prophecy. So this presentation is called Eight Circles of Certainty, Assembling the Jigsaw Puzzle of Messianic Prophecy. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in God's sight. Messianic prophecy is like a jigsaw puzzle. It's easy to do a jigsaw puzzle when you have the box picture. My wife, Naomi, loves to do jigsaw puzzles, big ones with a thousand pieces. But if you don't have the box uh, with the picture on it of, of what you're trying to get at, it's maybe impossible. It's not so easy to do a jigsaw puzzle when you do not have the picture. And uh, people who look at the same prophecies you and I would look at, if they don't really know where the whole thing holds together, hangs together, if they don't have the big picture, they may come up to different conclusions than we do. And we should not condemn them for that. God forbid. Uh, we're very fortunate that we have discovered what we have, but it's not because we're smart and we're spiritual. It's because God is good to us for reasons we will never decipher. So just remember that people with good intentions can differ on what they see in Messianic prophecy. I'm going to show you a presentation that you can use yourself in helping others to see the cumulative argument for Yeshua's Messiahship in Messianic prophecy. The goal is to construct a cumulative portrait of the Messiah, one that kind of builds. Especially, it's especially powerful when you're talking to people, stay in the Older Testament, stay in the Tanakh. It's especially powerful if you do not mention Yeshua. Don't appear to be making a sales pitch. Instead, what I like to do is say, look, uh, what you believe about the Messiah, what I believe about the Messiah, that's not the point. The point is, is let's look at what Scripture says about how to recognize the Messiah when he comes. And so your friends may, as the case accumulates, they may end up convincing themselves. They may say, wait a minute, that really sounds like Yeshua. It really sounds like Jesus. Let that happen in their minds. Don't pound away at people. It's, it's, uh, it's self-defeating. And as we look at these various pieces of prophecy, just realize that some pieces are more decisive and more convincing than others. That's just the way it is. So some pieces you may find to be weak, but some pieces are very powerful. Just like when you're doing a jigsaw puzzle, there are some pieces that open the whole thing up to you, and there are other pieces that are meh. So let's go on. When you're building this cumulative argument, what I suggest you do is draw a circle, a big circle on a piece of paper on a napkin. This is a good to do in a Starbucks. Draw eight consecutive circles, one at a time, uh, from the outside in concentrically. And label each circle in turn. I'm going to show this to you in a moment. You want to avoid overwhelming people 
when you try and present such a, a case. Uh, if you're throwing a lot of Bible verses at them and confusing them, they get embarrassed. So uh, be gentle. It's best that this kind of procedure be rather informal, casual, lighthearted. So let's take a look. Let's see if we can build a case. This is the first circle of humanity. Of all the beings who ever lived, the Messiah has to be a human being. We can see this uh, hinted at in Genesis chapter 3, when there's this mystical conflict between Adam and Eve and the serpent, who is a personification of spiritual evil. We read this. Adonai, God, said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all livestock and wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and eat dust as long as you live. I will put animosity between you, that is, the wicked one, and the woman, and between your descendant, the word here is zera, means seed. Now, zera can be plural or singular. It's like the word sheep. If I said to you, did you see the sheep outside? You wouldn't know if I was talking about one sheep or 47,632 sheep. So the word zera is used in a number of prophecies, which can be both plural or singular or one or the other. And you, you have to figure it out from context. So verse 15, I will put animosity between you and the woman and between your zera, your descendant and her descendant. He will bruise your head. He, that's a singular descendant, will bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. So this, this a descendant of, of Satan, this final outworking of satanic evil will involve in the, in the bruising of the head of the woman's seed, but you will bruise his heel other translations say, you will, you will, uh, I'm sorry, this is God speaking to the serpent. The serpent, he's saying to the serpent that the seed of the woman, the descendant of the woman, will bruise his head. Some translations say crush his head. So if you have a snake with a crushed head, what you have is a dead snake. But that seed of the woman will, will be bruised by, by, by the, the wicked one. The seed of the woman is bruised. Here he says, he'll bruise your heel. But in the process, the wicked one will have, will be crushed in the head. This is called a proto-evangelium. It's a kind of a hint in scripture of a final conflict between humanity and the forces of darkness as personified in a descendant of the woman. That is the Messiah. So we know that of all the beings that ever lived, the Messiah has to be a human being, can't be extraterrestrial. Secondly, we learn from Genesis chapter 12, 1 to 3, chapter 28, verse 10 to 15, and lots of other places, that the Messiah has to be a Jew, not just any human being, but of all the human beings who ever lived, has to be a Jewish human being. Genesis 12 picks up in this word seed. Now Adonai said to Avram, Get yourself out of your country, away from your kinsmen, 
away from your father's house. Go to the land I will show you. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You ought to be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who curses you. And by you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Okay, that we build on that in chapter in, in Genesis. Jacob, Abram's uh, grandson, uh, said, Yaakov went out from Beersheba and traveled toward Haran. He came to a certain place and he stayed the night there because the sun was set and he took a stone from the place, put it under his head and lay down there to sleep. He dreamt that there before him was a ladder resting on the ground and with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of Adonai were going up and down on it. We're familiar with this story. Then suddenly Adonai was standing there next to him and he said, I am Adonai, the God of, your, of Avraham, your grandfather, and the God of Yitzchak, the land on which you are lying, I will give to you and to your descendant or descendants, your seed, your Zerah. We don't know. Uh, your descendant or descend, your descendants, here it's plural, obviously, will be as numerous as the grains of the dust on the earth. You will expand to the west and to the east, to the north and the south by you and your descendant or descendants, or both, all, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So the Messiah is a human being. He's a Jewish human being. He's a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we also know from today's, from today's Torah reading that he's from the tribe of Judah. Of all the people who have, of all the beings that ever lived, he's a human being. Of all the human beings that ever lived, he's a Jew. Of all the Jews who ever lived, he's got to come from one of the 12 tribes, and only that tribe, that's Judah. And we read that today. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and the obedience of the peoples is his. The obedience of the peoples is going to come. Uh, this tribute comes to him uh, is uh, Adkiyavoshilo. Ad until Shiloh comes. So we don't know what Shiloh means. There's not total agreement on it, but this Shiloh is thought by some of the rabbis really to be a nickname for the Messiah, that this is, that the scepter will not depart from Judah uh, until the Messiah comes in the line of Judah. Let's look at some of those passages. Rashi in the 12th century. Uh, Adki Yavo Shiloh until Shiloh comes, means until the King Messiah will come. Whose will be the kingdom? Now, this is the 12th century. Rashi was not looking to advertise Yeshua, but he was honest. He says this, this passage refers to the Mashiach. Thus, too, does Onkelos, this would be about the second century, Onkelos is a Targum. Onkelos renders it the same way. And a Midrashic interpretation says that Shiloh is the same as Shiloh, a present unto him, as it is said in Psalm 76, let them bring presents unto him that is to be feared. So this is one to whom tribute will come, one whom others will honor, one whom Rashi recognizes is the Messiah. Chizkuni, 18th century Moroccan rabbi, lo yosu shevet meyehuda, the rod will not leave Judah, the scepter should not depart from Judah. 
Once the crown will be placed on a member of the tribe of Yehuda, that is King David, it will never be placed on the head of someone belonging to another tribe, which means that the, uh, the ultimate king of Israel will come from the tribe of Judah, as opposed to the first king of Israel, Shaul, who had been unable to establish a dynasty. So then Rabbi David Kimchi, late 12th century, early 13th century, France, He's quoting from Edward Rosh, Marishit Rabbah, that understands the word Shiloh in our verse. Yaakov would be saying that Yehuda's preeminence would not be short-lived, but would continue until the coming of the Messiah, the one to whom royalty would belong permanently. The whole blessing to Yehuda would then be compared to a father saying to his son, accept this token in the meantime until I give you the real thing. So the Messiah is the real thing that comes in the line of Judah, and the scepter will not depart from Judah until the Messiah comes in the tribe of Judah. So we see now the Messiah is a, of all beings. He's a human being. Of all human beings, he's a Jew. Of all Jews, he's from the tribe of Judah. We even find out what family he's from. 2 Samuel 7, 16, Jeremiah 23, verse 5 and 6, and many other passages give us this. For example, when your days come to an end and you sleep with your ancestors, this is God speaking to David. When your days come to an end and you sleep with your ancestors, I will establish one of your descendants. Now that could be Solomon to succeed you. Although Solomon succeeds him before David dies. So this would seem to be pointing to the Messiah. I will establish one of your descendants to succeed you, one of your own flesh and blood. I will set up his rulership. He will build a house for my name. And look at this. I will establish his royal throne forever. Now, did Solomon live forever? No. David did not really live forever either. But through the Messiah, the Davidic reign will be established forever. So we now know that the Messiah comes not only from the tribe of Judah, but from David's family. The passage continues. It says, I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. If he does something wrong, if these descendants in the line of Judah coming up to the Messiah do something wrong, I will punish him with a rod of blows and as everyone gets punished, nevertheless, my grace will not leave him, as I took it away from Shaul, whom I removed from before you. Thus, your house and your kingdom will be made secure forever before you. Your throne will be set up forever. Who can that be? It can only be the Messiah in the line of David. And Jeremiah says it this way. The days are coming, says Adonai, when I will raise up a righteous branch for David. He will reign as king and succeed. He will do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Yehuda will be saved. Israel will live in safety. And the name given to him will be Adonai Tzidkenu, Adonai our righteousness. So these are just a couple of passages where the Messiah is clearly presented as a descendant of David. 
Well, not only do we know, you notice how the whole thing is accumulating and then it's narrowing down. There are fewer and fewer people who can fit this, these characteristics. A human being, a Jewish human being from the tribe of Judah, from the family of David, and born, Micah 5.2, born in Bethlehem. But you, Bethlehem, near Ephrat, this is where Rachel was buried, as we read today, so small among the clans of Yehuda, out of you will come forth to me the future ruler of Israel. This was written, this was written after the time of King David, uh, hundreds of years after. So it's not talking about David, it's talking about the Davidic Messiah. You, Bethlehem, near Ephrat, so small among the clans of Yehuda, out of you will come forth to me the future ruler of Israel, whose origins are far in the past, back in ancient times. This is the Messiah. So now we know a human being, a Jewish human being from the tribe of David, from the family, from the tribe of Judah, from the family of David, born in Bethlehem. And we know what kind of a life, reception, and death he has. Uh, we know quite a bit about him. He's to be sinless rejected, and executed in a judicial proceeding. This is from Isaiah 53. People despised and avoided him, a man of pains, well acquainted with illness, like someone from whom people turned their faces, he was despised. We did not value him. In fact, it was our diseases he bore, our pains from which he suffered, yet we regarded him as punished, stricken, and afflicted by God, but he was wounded because of our crimes, crushed because of our sins. The disciplining that makes us whole fell on him, and by his bruises, we are healed. We all, like sheep, went astray. We turned each one to his own way, yet out and I laid on him the guilt of us all. Notice he's sinless. <coughs> He's rejected. He's executed in a judicial proceeding. And by the way, he dies as a substitute for others. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is set before his shearers, that before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By a perversion of justice, he was taken away. Who could have imagined his future? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He dies stricken for the transgression of my people. He dies not for himself, but for the sins of his people. They made his grave with the wicked and the, his tomb with the rich. Although he had done no violence, there was no deceit in his mouth. He was sinless and he dies for others in a judicial proceeding. He's rejected and despised, although he's sinless. Well, now we know the Messiah is a human being, a Jewish human being from the tribe of Judah, the family of David, born in Bethlehem. He leads a sinless life. He's rejected by his people. He dies in a judicial proceeding. But we learn also in Isaiah 11, 49, and other places, that the Messiah, this person, will be received by the nations. The, the Jewish people will reject him for the most part but he'll be received by the nations. Isaiah 11 says, 
on that day, the root of Jesse, Jesse is David's father. So the root of Jesse is David. On that day, the root of Jesse shall stand as an ensign to the peoples. The nations shall inquire of him and his dwelling shall be glorious. I remember many years ago, Rachmiel Friedland of blessed memory, a very orthodox and brilliant Talmudic scholar who came to faith in Yeshua in Poland just before the Shoah. Uh, he, or, or just in the beginning of the Shoah, he said that this was one of the reasons, one of the reasons why he was convinced Yeshua was the Messiah is because he says, people all over the world, people whose ancestors worshiped trees and rocks and cows, named their children David and Solomon. And, and, and uh, they believe in this Jew. And he says, Isaiah said this, on that day, the root of Jesse will stand as an ensign for the peoples, the nations will inquire of him, the goyim, and his dwelling place will be glorious. Isaiah 49, it is too small a thing, too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the survivors of Israel. This Messiah is also a light to the nations, but God's salvation may reach the ends of the earth. So we know of the Messiah. He's a human being, a Jew from the tribe of Judah, from the family of David, born in Bethlehem. Um, he leads a sinless life, an atoning death, and he's rejected by his people. He's received, though, by the nations. And we even have a certain chronology. And here my PowerPoint is going to play a trick on us in a, in a minute. So I'm going to have to go to another view. But you'll see that in a moment. The Messiah has to die sometime between 444 BCE and 70 CE. Daniel is writing after the destruction of the first temple. He's an old man in Babylon. And Gabriel comes to him and says to him, after a time of fasting and praying and repenting, because Daniel knew from Jeremiah's prophecy that the captivity of Israel was only going to last for 70 years. And that was just about up. So Daniel is praying, when are you going to truly forgive the nation of God? When are you going to bring us to our righteous inheritance? The angel Gabriel says, 70 weeks are decreed for your people and your holy city. This is uh, 70 Shavuot, uh, 70 groups of seven. It's groups of years. 70 sevens of years are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to solve Israel's sin problem, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and prophet, and to anoint a most holy place. Now he breaks it down. Know therefore and understand that from the time the word went out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, that we discover happened. There are four times this is done. When, uh, 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 but the, the one that this is referring to is when both the city and Jerusalem are built. Are, uh, and uh, we find that later in the passage. It's a rebuilding of Jerusalem and the city. That happened under Artaxerxes, the Persian king, in 444 BC in the month of March. Until the, the word went out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the time of an anointed prince, 
that is, Mashiach Nagid. There shall be seven weeks, and for 62 weeks it will be built again. So it's seven and 62 is 69 sevens. That's 483 biblical years of 360 days. There'll be 400 and uh, f- uh, 480, uh, uh, it's 173,880 days, is what it comes out to. It shall be built again, then the city shall be built again with streets and moat, but in a troubled time. So the Messiah is going to come after the decree to rebuild Jerusalem, and uh, it's going to be rebuilt in a troubled time. Now I have to take you to another view, because for some reason, my uh, my PowerPoint has a little heart attack at this point. So just hold on a second. And we're getting there. Getting there. Okay. And here's the, here's the rest of that passage. After the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off, Mashiach, will be cut off and shall have nothing. Actually, the Hebrew says, Ve'en lo, which probably means not for himself, but it could mean he'll have nothing. Whatever it is, this anointed one who comes after the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem will be cut off. And then the troops of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall be with a flood, and there shall be a time of war. So the Messiah is cut off, he dies, and then the city is destroyed and the temple is destroyed. Well, when was the temple destroyed? In 70 AD. I'm going to show this to you more clearly in the next slide. Let's look at it this way. In 444 BCE, the command is given. The temple and the city are rebuilt. The Messiah comes. The Messiah is cut off, he dies, and the temple is destroyed. So whoever this messianic figure is, he has to come between the time the command is given to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, which was 444 BCE. He has to come during a time where the temple and the city are rebuilt. He has to die during that time before that temple is destroyed. Well, that temple was destroyed in 70 AD. It's a very powerful messianic prophecy. Just a moment. So here we have it. He's going to be a human being, a Jewish human being from the tribe of Judah, the family of David, born in Bethlehem, leads a sinless life, is rejected by his people, dies an atoning death in a judicial proceeding. He's received, though, by the nations, by the Gentile nations. And he all this happens before the second temple was destroyed. So I wonder who that could be. Who could it be? Now, you give a presentation like this to your Jewish friend and don't mention the name of Yeshua. It's gonna be obvious to your friend who this is. So here's the big question. If all of this is true, and and if it's in the Jewish Bible, Why can't Jewish people see this? 
Here's a few reasons. First of all, remember the jigsaw puzzle. If you don't have the picture on the box, then figuring out how the pieces fit together is uh, a whole different ball of wax. It's, it's enormously difficult. So just because you know what the picture is, things look obvious to you how the pictures fit, pieces fit together. Looks obvious to you, but they don't have the picture. Number two, confirmation bias. People are gonna to tend to see what confirms what they already believe. We believe Yeshua is the Messiah. We're gonna see Messianic prophecies all over the place. People who don't believe he's the Messiah are not gonna see that all over the place. And in fact, many of our people have been conditioned to believe that the only reason that Yeshua believers find this to be true is that we twist the scriptures. That's what I was told. That's what many of you were told. So they're, they're gonna confirm the doubts of their leaders rather than confirm your faith or mine. So another reason not many Jewish people believe is that how should they believe unless someone tells them? And we're, not, we're not getting the word out. That's what Paul says. We only believe what is possible. If something is impossible, my father, may he rest in peace. He and I never had really good discussions about faith. And one of the, one of the longest discussions I had with my father was this one. He said, virgin birth, ridiculous. That was the whole discussion. If it's impossible, if somebody judges something to be impossible, then it is impossible for them. So Jewish people can only believe in Yeshua if they get to the point where they think it's possible. So our role is to try to get our Jewish friends to think that it's possible because no one ever gets to yes until they go through maybe. So we need to help people, prayerfully help people, get to the point where they say, well, maybe. That's a big thing. And therefore, remember the role of the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who brings people to faith. It's extraordinary that I came to Yeshua faith. I was a very big cynic. I was not consciously looking for God. It's extraordinary that my son Chaim came to Yeshua faith. Just I mean, and all of you, it's extraordinary. It's the work of the spirit. And that's what we depend upon. So we're a little longer today than usual, but I felt that you needed a presentation on Messianic prophecy. And this was it. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in the sight of the one who is our rock and our redeemer. Before we go to our conclusion, uh, anybody have anything they want to say or ask? Richard?